This is dedicated to all my beautiful queens, all my beautiful ladies out there. She is a queen. Thank you guys for joining another episode of The Key Chat. Today I have a very special guest, Ms. Kia Harris-Carr, and we're going to be having a conversation in, in acknowledgement of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I want to touch on some topics regarding post-separation abuse, and in addition with this also being a month that acknowledges breast cancer awareness, Kia has a great foundation called the Beautiful Faces Foundation, and it helps people with who have dealt with domestic violence and it also helps women who have dealt with cancer who are also dealing with domestic violence as well. So she has a wonderful foundation. So I do want to talk about that as well. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. And like I said, your foundation, it covers quite a bit and it's really beautiful. So I wanted to start off with just talking about your personal experience. I know that you had a double diagnosis within like 32 days of each other. So I wanted to start off and talk about that first before we talk about um, domestic violence and your foundation. Sure, sure. The, the two actually tie into each other um, quite a bit when I received my diagnosis. Um, I know that you did another segment recently that spoke to the age uh, lowering under that 40 kind of baseline for diagnosis of breast cancer and other cancers. And so I was 37 years old, received my first diagnosis. And then 32 days later, found out about the tumor that was on my ovary. While all of that was going on, a very close friend of mine lost her son to domestic violence. And both of those things together were kind of weighing at the same time. And I said, okay, I can put both of these things together. And so that's how Beautiful Faces Foundation ended up having a cancer uh, side and a domestic violence side. And I like to call them action. We always speak to domestic violence awareness and domestic violence um, acknowledgement. Same with Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I like to call this action month and kind of replace that awareness with action because once we're aware, what do we do next? And that's a great thing to mention. Like once we're aware, what do we do next? Because, you know, Obviously, we're aware that this takes place, even though I feel personally, especially from my experience, there's a lot of stigma still involved. It's still, after all this time, it's still a taboo subject because I think it's one of these things where people question a lot, well, why did you get in a situation? Why didn't you leave? Or why did you stay as long as you did? You know, it's just something that... I think it's like a, a wheel that happens, you know, with this particular subject. So I do agree with, yes, it's one thing to be aware, but what's the action so that we can have preventative measures and things to help people. So one thing that I definitely, as I mentioned off camera, that I wanted to touch on is 
the post-separation abuse? Because as I mentioned, I think one of the biggest conversations with domestic violence, again, like I said, there's a lot of stigmas. People tend to question the person that has been involved in it. And I think they question the, and I don't use the V word, I don't use victim. Um, they question the, the other party as opposed to the person that's done the abuse. <laughs> the person who's received the abuse, I feel like gets questioned and interrogated up and down. How did you get in a situation? Why didn't you leave? Or even when you leave, or why did you stay as long as you did? So I wanted to talk about the post-separation abuse because the post-separation abuse is real and it's actually the answer to the whopping question of why didn't you leave soon enough? Why did you stay? I don't think people have a clear picture at all of the post-separation post abuse and that most people who have lost their lives it happens after they have left. So I think that's something that people aren't aware of. So I wanted to talk about that. So what is your experience with your foundation with the post-separation abuse? I would probably say a good portion of the clients that we service on the domestic violence side, which we are extremely confidential about, um, a lot of them reach out to us when they're in that transitional period, when they're in shelters, when they are trying to get out. I'll say that I think the, the first thing um, that I would like people to think about in that is that domestic violence is very personal to the person that's affected by it and the person that's initiating it. So just like any other diagnosis or disease, I could have a diagnosis of breast cancer. You could have a diagnosis of breast cancer. It's going to hit both of our bodies very differently. We could do very similar treatments and it's going to have very different effects because we're two totally different people. And so in, in kind of sticking with the what's next mindset, the post, I'll say care, the post healing of domestic violence is very personable to the person that was affected by it. And so I think it's a combination of things to self heal. One, what was the extent of the domestic violence initiated to a person? Was it physical? Was it emotional? Was it financial? How did it disrupt your being so that you know how to heal from it? And so that healing is a layering process of a number of resources that are then needed. I highly, highly recommend counseling when a person is ready, not when your family tells you that you need to talk to someone, not when your coworkers try to force you to talk because maybe they recognize that something's different or maybe you have someone that you've confided in. It is very personable to self. And so just like when we don't feel well, we know when we get to that point where we need to take medicine, post-domestic violence care, you know when you're saying, I'm not right. And that healing takes a while. And there's no right or wrong way that that looks. So when the questions come of why didn't a person get out? Why didn't you leave sooner? Why didn't you do something else? I think to outside people looking in, it seems simplistic of, oh, I'll just leave. Or, oh, oh I'll just do this. Or, oh, I'll just do that. Not understanding how much goes into a relationship, one, how a person views domestic violence is so directly connected to factors of how we grew up, what was normalized growing up, what, what your tolerance level was. 
And when you get to a point where you say enough's enough, or even toggling to say, I've had enough, but do I want to give this a little more hope? People with children struggle about their exit strategy if they're fortunate enough to get one. And so that um, healing process afterwards is not just significant to the person, but then how do you get to a point where you rebuild healthy relationships when you're ready? And it then becomes preventive. All right, you touched on a lot of points. And um, and for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned is one of the personal reasons why I made a choice to not discuss this last year. Um, so like I said, I've gone through this post-separation abuse is real, you know, and for other women who are going to tune into this, who've received any type of domestic violence counseling, if they've seen that wheel, you know, the honeymoon period, the cycle, getting back together, you know, from my experience, I'm a counselor I spoke to once said, in the situations that she's seen, it normally takes about at least seven times before a person is finally gone for good. Okay. You know, it's, it's a will that unless a person has experienced it or they have direct, you know, directly work with it, outside people, they can't comprehend that. And it's not just a matter, like you said, people make it very simplistic when they haven't dealt with it. And mm-hmm. it's not a matter of, okay, this isn't this isn't healthy, this is toxic, I'll just leave. You know, if it was only that simple, and you've mentioned so many different things, it's tolerance levels. Mm-hmm. It's what a lot of us have grown up with, what we have normalized. It's not just a matter of leaving. And another thing that I think people don't understand, just as you mentioned, tolerance levels. It's what it's what goes through your mind and what you're accustomed to and what you may think is normal that leads into you getting in this, these situations as well. You know, self-esteem, confidence. Some of us don't even understand when we're in emotionally abusive relationships because abuse isn't always physical or sometimes it's a combination of different things or sometimes you know there's been situations where it starts off simple you know it's a simple shove sometimes during a a bad argument or getting a a, an extreme verbal lashing out and then it progresses you know Mm -hmm. and it's a shock to the system for someone who's on the receiving end of that so there's so many things that goes through your mind because if you think it's already bad enough that society is questioning you and blaming you, imagine what that person on the receiving end is thinking as well. Because I think we have this false picture of domestic violence, you know, that the abuser's wearing, you know, the wife beater, you know, t-shirt, lobby, cropping and drinking a brewski and this, you know, this weak whatever thing that we put in our minds. That's not the case. You know, domestic violence happens in, you know, upper class, middle, you know, whatever. But, you know, we have these false perceptions that happens to educated women, you know, Mm -hmm. but we have these stigmas and these false images in our minds, which makes it, you know, a, a worse situation. And again, it's not as simple as, okay, this isn't working. I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's really challenging is a lot of times to the, to people that have never experienced it, they view domestic violence as 
the woman that's, you know, cuddled in a corner because she has a black eye or she's been, you know, pushed through a wall or, or it's often viewed as physical only. People don't understand the different categories of abuse. One of the things that we focus a lot on in the foundation is male domestic violence. Um, you know, that is, is oftentimes frowned upon, it's laughed at, it's not considered as being real. Um, and so th that, those are some of the things that we try to talk through and work through. One of the programs that we have at Beautiful Faces is called the Choices Workshop. And Choices I developed to be a youth education platform for how do we start to educate younger generations about better behaviors? How do you better channel anger? How do you deal with conflict resolution? Because some people are literally just seeing what happens or what doesn't happen in their households. And so to, to both young men and young women, how do we start to teach younger people where to set boundaries? where to have an internal ticker to say, this is my flag that I'm not going to ignore. You know, sometimes we get red flags and, and we tell ourselves, it's not that bad, you know, or you think you're, you're rationalizing with yourself continually. And, and you're thinking, it's not going to get that bad. You know, maybe they had a bad day. Maybe it's me. Maybe I did something wrong. You know, tomorrow will be a better day. But I wish that people remove the mask from domestic violence and understood that it doesn't matter if you're white, black, Asian, another uh, ethnic background. It doesn't matter if you're young, old. It doesn't matter if you are considered uh, a professional. You know, I've, I've heard people say, but I, I, I have a great career and, you know, this shouldn't have. doesn't matter. And so there is no face to who and how can be affected from it. And if we take away the traditional physical aspect of it that a lot of people focus on, and we focus on the things that we can't, we can't see visually. So what about the, the mental effect that domestic violence has? What about the emotional, spiritual, financial effects that domestic violence harm and disrupt that, that can't be seen? Um, and those are the things that I think aren't put into conversations enough so that they become dominant enough thoughts that even when you may confide in someone, they're thinking forwardly about all those things. And so the conversation changes a little bit. It doesn't become, why are you staying? It may shift to, how are you doing? Or how are you managing? Or how are you maintaining? Because it seems that that's not a question that's asked very often. You know, nobody says, how are you enduring this? It's more often, well, why are you putting up with it? And so I think from a education standpoint, even those of us that may be close to a family member, uh, a friend that you kind of notice when something is off, excuse me, Sorry, <laughs> you kind of notice when something's off. If a person trusts you enough to share with you, that is such a confidential space. It's such a time for you to maybe just be still and listen and say, wow, this person shared this with me. And not that's, that's not a time for you to turn into, you know, master reporter 
with a ton of questions, but maybe just say, how can I help? What can I do? Um, and sometimes those of us that have found ourselves in domestic violence situations, in your head, you're developing a plan. Sometimes you don't know if it's going to work or not. Sometimes you don't know when you're going to execute it. But there's so many different things that are going on simultaneously that you just need someone to be graceful with you. And maybe not ask a single question at all. Be aware. Be alert. And maybe insert your advice if asked. But sometimes you just need a, a landing space of someone that you feel safe and trusted to talk to. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest issues is the shame involved with it and the judgment. Um, and one of, one of the questions, like you mentioned, I think one of the best questions you can ask someone is, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. You know, because when you're in that situation, sometimes it does, it is a hopeless feeling sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. because you can't figure out how to escape these situations. And again, I feel just, I know from my personal experience and from what I know of others, generally you have a picture of what the post-separation abuse can look like. And that's in your mind when you're trying to figure out how to leave. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's not a simple thing. It's extremely complex. And again, there's so many stigmas. So there's an unfortunate judgment, which adds already to the shame that the person on the receiving end is dealing with, you know, and it's really unfortunate. So I just think, again, like safe spaces are needed and a safe listening ear. And like you said, sometimes just to have someone listen who you may not even want to necessarily receive anything at that moment, but you just may need to just talk about what's happening. So it can alleviate the shame that's taking place and the fear that you're living with, you know, and then further down the line, it's wonderful when you can have someone that can just simply ask, how can I help, mm -hmm. you know, and having resources <clears throat> as well, you know, for that safe space, because leaving is just the first step. You know, there's so many things that follows it. There's financial abuse. There's the PTSD that comes into place. There's the need for counseling in order to fill in those broken pieces emotionally that you've gone through. There's children involved. You know, that's a whole different ball game. The children need help. You need help to just as a parent on how to heal, to move on. It's just so many different levels involved. And again, I think as I think domestic violence is something that's really unique because there's still a lot of work to be done Absolutely. because there's still a lot of stigma <clears throat> all sure. the time. Sure. You know, I've seen it personally. So that's <laughs> just one of the things that just makes this situation extremely complex to help people because sure. there's there's so much work that still needs to be done. Absolutely. And and so much work that needs to be done from a day-to-day -day understanding from just people that may be in your immediate circle, but so much work that also needs to be done from a legislative perspective. I was having a conversation recently, and I'm in the state of Pennsylvania, about there is a PFA in the state of Pennsylvania that allows both parties of a domestic violence situation to reside in the same residence. And I have a hard time wrapping my head around the logic of that one. If someone needs a protection from abuse order, 
why do we even have a legislation existing that allows that person to stay in the same residence as their abuser? And so lots of work absolutely is, is needed to be done. And for us to show up in spaces that are going to begin to change how, how some of these outcomes look and how some of these outlets look. So things like how do, how do you access a PFA? You know, a lot of times uh, local law enforcement is very limited to when they can enforce um, different things. So if, if you have an incident at home and you call the police and the police come and it may not be that, again, you're you're curled up in a corner because you were just physically abused so bad that you can't stand. And the police go, oh, well, you know, tomorrow morning you can go and get uh, protection from abuse order or you can go and do this or go and do that. But in that moment, you're looking for a right now solution. And I think sometimes people feeling like they don't have that option or the resources that are available are not as effective as they're hoping, it tends to make them hesitate at their outreach. So do I call the domestic violence hotline? No, I'm not gonna call them because th this is, this is you know, shared things that people have shared with me in different conversations. No, I didn't call them because what were they gonna do but tell me to call the police? And if I call the police, the police aren't going to make him or her leave. They're going to tell me to wait until the next day. Y your life is in the balance in a domestic violence situation. And so there is definitely um, a lot more to, to be done as we bridge the gaps of awareness and action. Mm -hmm. And in that action piece, where do we need to build better resources? Where do we need to build better outlets to see some of these outcomes go differently because i think you and i both know that a lot of people don't make it to the post transitional phase you know a lot of people are losing their lives to domestic violence situations that some of them chose to never speak about and there's no shame in that sure that's hard for a family to accept it's hard for friends to receive, to say, oh my gosh, I had no idea. You know, so-and-so seemed like they were a happy couple. They, pardon me, they seemed like everything was fine. And so those are, those are some of the things that we have to begin to be more aware of. And it's not that you want to go around inserting yourself unsolicited into everyone's business, but there are certainly ways to pay attention Um when when you think something's off in a in a certain situation and softly let a person know you know i recognize that something doesn't seem quite right i'm here if you need to talk i'm here if you want to talk or simply how can i help mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. definitely how can i help i think one of the um i think one of the things that causes issues as well is because as we mentioned the the wheel the cycle I think sometimes people who have maybe helped people in those situations, sometimes they feel burned when the person goes back. But mm -hmm. I think what, again, it's about being educated and having more conversations because I think what sometimes people don't understand, they 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 reduce it down into something simplistic like we discussed. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're abusive. You should just leave. 
-hmm. it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if only it could be that simple. And mm -hmm. that's why the will happens. That's why they go back. Because if you help someone on a, if you break it down on an infantile level and say, hey, here's a few hundred dollars or something, I'll help you leave. Mm -hmm. There's other ramifications that follows. If you just help someone leave, and I'm trying to break it down to sound as simple as possible, the counseling, where's the counseling? You know, where's the therapy? Where is, you know, the help with the financial abuse, the emotional abuse, the PTSD, the mm -hmm. um, post-separation abuse, the harassment that happens if you have children, the, the threatening of custody, you know, mm -hmm. there's so many other things that comes about. And I think that is where the help may break down, where there's people who may have resources to help someone, but they, in their mind, they're like, well, you know, I did this minor thing for them, you know, and they went back. Sure. And that, that's they, okay. Because sure. People have to understand that helping is not inclusive to that person saying I'm going to walk away and I'm completely wrapped up here. Um, you know, like I'm just, I'm just ready to walk out the door because you pull into my driveway at 3 a.m. because I chose to call you doesn't mean that I don't have to return to this space tomorrow for a number of reasons. Um, it, and it certainly should not be contingent upon whether or not that person extends himself to you again, or however many additional times that you need. Because sometimes you may have a person says, well, nope, don't call me anymore because I've I've been there twice and you you still stay in it. And what are you doing? And people don't understand when you speak to the post-abuse transition, safety is a huge factor of that. And so when you look at those elements, how does it affect your employment? How, how does it affect your social life? How does it affect your family? Um, can I safely go to work without someone maybe stalking or following me? You know, can I safely get through my workday without harassing phone calls or emails or text messages? Those are all things that still keep you very bound to a domestic violence situation far after you may have physically left the environment where you coexisted with your with your ab abuser. So th those are things that um, I hope people will begin to think about a little more diligently in, in the processes that they may find themselves in affected to domestic violence situations. Mm -hmm. You bet. And that's, that's a reality, you know, everything that you mentioned, you know, and again, if only people understood, it's just not a simple thing of, hey, I'm just going to pack my bags and leave. You know, if only that was the case, you know, but it's not. How can we, what can we do to, I guess, build the conversation to maybe do our parts, as you mentioned, in action, the mm -hmm. action verb of just having more conversations and erasing some of these stigmas you know, bringing more education to our community, also our legislative leaders, when we do have some chances, what can we do to erase some of these stigmas? And so I, I think having the conversations and having platforms for the conversations, including, or let me say in addition to the counseling, 
we do a support group. We are not able to publicly list where that support group is. When people reach out to us, once they are technically considered a client in our system, we are able to share confidential locations with them because their safety is of the utmost importance. And we never want to compromise a situation where we've listed something publicly and the people that that space is not intended for somehow end up in that space, if that makes sense. But support groups are important. It, it, something interesting happens when a collective of people come together that have a common denominator in anything. And they begin to pull resources beyond what even programs we design in organizations they begin to share stories and they begin to share ideas and it may be well hey you know um kim i did xyz and while rhonda who's sitting on the other side of the room may not verbally say anything in that space a light bulb just went off for her and she's thinking oh my goodness i never even thought of that and so as a person internally begins to build their exit strategy or their recovery plan, or a little bit of both, having spaces for those conversations are important. You know, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church, and I grew up in a Baptist church where I went to first and second service, and we were in church for everything. And at some point, the church used to be the cornerstone of healing. And I don't necessarily mean that just in a physical sense. I mean that from your internal being. And I don't mean that from sitting in an all night prayer meeting or uh, uh, going to noonday prayer per se, certainly not taking away the importance of whatever faith one chooses to connect to, but I mean that in just providing an environment where people could have conversations. And so you were able to sit in a corner and have a conversation with an elder or with another woman. And guess what? That became your counseling session because somebody cared enough to listen. Somebody else felt safe enough to talk and people healed that way. And so we have to begin to one, be willing to be vulnerable where we're not okay. It's okay to not be okay. And it's okay specifically to tell another sister, I'm not good today. And you may or may not choose to engage why you're not good, but you've just given your, yourself permission to say, I'm not okay. People traditionally say, how you doing? And everybody expects to hear, oh, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. When internally you're like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm gonna make it through the next hour. Hmm. But we, we, we don't normalize being able to say that. And so we need to, continue to create safe spaces to to do just that, to dialogue about these things and to share one with another. I think from a legislative perspective, we need to know who our state representatives are. We need to know what's going on um, in, in larger areas of how judicial systems are, are tackling domestic violence things in courthouses. How does this affect me if I end up having to go to court for this? Or how does this affect me on this realm? Or what's the law? What's going to be allowed? What's not going to be allowed? Where, where's the, the gray area for that? And so if we don't know what's going on, we don't know who to talk to. Sadly, a lot of people have no idea 
who their who their local legislators are. Everybody looks to see what the larger offices are doing, what bills being passed, what what happened here, what happened there. But until we start to be the voices to our local legislation, they don't even know sometimes what's important to the population of people that they are designed to service. And so we need to start attending. If, you're, if your community has a community meeting, go to that community meeting and bring up these topics of discussion that are important to you. Because until we begin to put them on the table, they remain hushed or they remain overlooked sometimes because we have to be the voices that speak up to them. So those are some important key points. I can't stress enough um, the responsibility that we have to passing a stronger baton to future generations than the ones that were handed to us. And I don't mean that as in our elders failed us, but we have a responsibility to give them something better. And so the generations before us gave us what they gave us and maybe they dealt with things certain ways. And now we're in a space where we have more technologies, we have more innovations, we have maybe more resources. And so we have that responsibility to teach our children, whether we have biological children that are in our households or if you have nieces, nephews, godchildren, what kinds of conversations are we having with them? Because if we can talk to them about the latest iPhone, if we can talk to them about the latest video game, why aren't we talking to them about setting dating boundaries before they even begin to date? You know, why aren't we talking to them about good behaviors? And I think people getting upset in the emotion of anger is just as normal as laughter. But how we address it and how we learn what to do with it becomes so important. So little boys are often told, you know, when they express emotion, tough it up, be a man. You better not cry. You better this, you better that. And so hurt, I, ha I have seen so many unaddressed hurt people that shift that to anger because they didn't learn the appropriate way to deal with the root cause of the anger. And so I think we also have a responsibility to talk to our young men and our young women. At what point do we teach our young women, you have to have some boundaries. If he raised his voice, that might be a boundary for one person. Or, or he or she, you know, wh whatever a person's dating dynamic is. But how do we begin to recognize what is abnormal for one's person? We learn those things at home. I learned how to sit like a lady from my grandmother. You know, you cross your legs. If, you're, if, you're, if your knees were showing in your skirt, you put something in your lap. Those are learned behaviors. And so it starts with what we're teaching to hopefully save future generations and save ourselves. Because it's never too late to set a boundary. It's personal to you. It, it takes some adjusting for the people in our space. You know, if you've always let people come in your house and put their feet on your coffee table, and then on a random Wednesday, you say, up, oh, screeching halt, no more feet on my coffee table. Most people are going to give you some pushback. Well, what do you mean? I've always done it. Yeah, you, you may have always done it, but not anymore. 
And so for those of us that are already there, we have to just kind of rip the page and maybe initiate some new rules. And for those younger ones that are coming up behind us, we need to set good foundations for them. Mm -hmm. I agree because, you know, our elders gave us all they could. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's just plain as that they gave us what they could give us, mm -hmm. you know, whether it helped us or did not help us as far as how we view relationships or viewed boundaries or viewed self-love. At the end of the day, they gave us what they could. Mm -hmm. As far as our generation, again, and I do agree about it's it's about passing that baton on mm -hmm. because as you mentioned, we can teach our young boys and our young girls to love themselves. We can teach our young boys, you know, that they are little kings, you know, that they can value themselves and that they can show their emotions so that they don't have all this bottled up pent up anger. You can cry, you can be hurt, you can express yourself. We can tell our young women that you can be confident, you know, and also we can have conversations too where relationships don't have to be our defining factors. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's okay to be alone. It's okay to be single. You know, you don't have to rush into anything that doesn't make you feel happy, that doesn't feel good, that doesn't make you comfortable. You know, just to wear this badge of saying that you're with someone too. There's so many conversations that we can start off with our youth alone mm -hmm. to pass on the stronger baton to build them up so that they can have healthy relationships. And healthy relationships doesn't always mean having a partner. A healthy relationship with yourself. Absolutely. In order to move on and to be healthy and to have this next generation that doesn't have to repeat some of the cycles that you know some of us have gone through it's so many conversations that we can have and again it's never too late to have a boundary you know for our current generation domestic violence is something that is more common than a lot of us realize because again abuse isn't always this woman with the black eye the broken arm in the corner you know and again with the abuser he's wearing you know the torn you know tank top, you know, mm -hmm. drinking a beer. That's not the correct image, you know, that we've placed in our minds. Mm -hmm. It's never too late to have a boundary. Mm -hmm. You know, we can have more conversations. There's emotional abuse. There's mental abuse. There's the PTSD that mm -hmm. comes afterwards. But again, it's never too late to have a boundary. Right. And some of us are walking around in, in shame, you know, and in silence as well. And some of us maybe have someone that really can give them some resources that can help them. Mm -hmm. But there's the shame that's involved too, you know, but again, it's never too late. And I know the healing is a process. It's not something that happens overnight, mm -hmm. but it can happen, mm -hmm. you know, and it is an ongoing thing. So it's not like, you know, it's just an automatic, eventually one day, like it's totally all the pain has disappeared completely. You know, mm -hmm. not necessarily, you know, but you can move past it. You can build yourself up. It's okay. You know, you can, you can really have the life that you deserve. And what I mean by that is have the happiness and have that value and that self-worth. It is possible to move on. It's not an easy thing, you know, and that's something, you know, that I definitely understand. Mm -hmm. And it's an ongoing thing in it. You know, it's an emotional 
it's an emotional thing too, because there's going to be certain triggers. There's going to be certain things that may bring you back mentally to -hmm. that space or sometimes having that, why did I end up in this situation? Sometimes that weighs on people too. Mm -hmm. But again, if we can just acknowledge too that there is a such thing as post-separation abuse, and if we just can have more conversations and have the resources for the therapy and the healing. And again, if we just look at our current generation ahead of us, and if we can just start off while they're young and just teach our boys and our young girls to just love themselves and value themselves, and it's okay to show your emotions, it's okay to learn to process your anger, we could possibly, you know, make a bigger difference, hopefully, you know. So I definitely enjoyed this conversation. Like I said, um, from my personal experience, it's not an easy thing sometimes to discuss this, but I definitely wanted to get back into having more conversations with this. You know, like I said, I dealt with domestic violence for quite a long time. um, And the post-separation abuse is real. And I know all too well, but I do think, again, that I really wish that this wasn't something that is still a topic that's filled with misconceptions, mm-hmm. our shame involved. You know, that's one thing that I really wish would change. Like if someone tunes in and they're in a situation currently, you have absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. And I think that's the main thing that, you know, I would like to express for people or people who are out of it. You know, once you have, once you have left, you know, if you're dealing with post-separation abuse, there's the shame involved. There's so many judgments involved and it's okay you don't have to feel any less than because you've gone through this situation it doesn't make you less than a person and i think that's one of the things too with the physical abuse it's not all physical it's a mental breakdown that takes place to reduce a person to make them think in some type of sense that they deserve that type of treatment and that's definitely not the case so um, i wanted to thank you of course for this conversation but before we end everything Tell everyone how they can learn more about your foundation if they want to reach out to you. And I know there's a lot of anonymity involved, obviously, but I know that we can still direct them to your website and possibly they can learn more and maybe how they can help. Absolutely. So online, we are at beautifulfacesfoundation.org. We do have a confidential chat feature. If someone doesn't want to call in as soon as you hit the website, there is an option to initiate a chat with one of our care coordinators. We service the entire United States. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Beautiful Faces. If you want to reach me directly, I am on Facebook at Kia Harris Carr on Instagram, Becoming Kia. So our phone numbers are there. Our email addresses are there. I encourage all of you, if we can help, if you want us to bring one of the workshops to you, we will bring a workshop. Uh, to another state, to a facility of your choice. And so if any of your viewers are watching this and they're interested in bringing one of the choices workshops to their facility, please reach out to us to coordinate more details on that as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for this conversation. And I know Thank again, you. this is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, but again, let's put some action to this. And also domestic violence is something that we can put action to helping one another and also having these conversations, not just for the month of October, but for 365 days a year. And again, anyone that's tuning in who may be in a situation, please do not be ashamed. Just seek some help. 
whether it's just having a conversation on what steps you can take in order to receive some help to possibly come up with a way to leave. And if you're dealing with post-separation abuse as well, please seek out some of these wonderful organizations like Kia has that's all throughout the country to receive some help. And again, I definitely do understand. And I hope that this conversation does raise more awareness. And I hope in addition, it could possibly have some honesty that we brought to just break down some of these stigmas so that people can receive help. And again, we can start with our younger, our youngsters just having some conversations to build that confidence in them. So hopefully certain cycles aren't repeated. And again, you know, I just want to show some love to people who are tuning in because I definitely know that this is a tough subject and more people have dealt with this than we do realize. So again, thank you guys for tuning in and you can catch more conversations like this and others, www.goqueen.com. Please be safe and go love yourself. Yeah,